Self and Titus and Silas, no, 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 Timothy and Silas, going through this neck of the woods. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the title of the message, The Need for Brokenness. Yikes. The Need for Brokenness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have in your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us. We desire to hear from you. We thank you that you've blessed us, Lord, with this love letter, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. And so take this time, we offer it up to you, and we pray, Father, that you would have your way in our hearts, in our lives. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So the need for brokenness, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica. He would spend roughly three weeks with them. At least Acts chapter 17 would tell us that he would be there three Sabbaths in a row, three Saturdays in the temple, sharing with them. He would come to them and share the gospel over and over. And then he would be removed from them by force. And he would try to make his way back, but would struggle with that. And so awesome, awesome little book. Where he's been so far is just letting them know that his desire is to come to them again, to be able to see them. And so Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica. Everybody good? First Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's start at verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. So Paul is on this missionary journey and his desire is to get back to these in Thessalonica. He's forbidden by this group that doesn't want him to go, but yet he's a little concerned. He's a little concerned whether they're going to do well, whether they're going to make it. And I just find it interesting. Let me kind of interject here just where I'm at this week and as I'm reflecting and evaluating where we are as Christians in this world. So here we are in this place at this time, and as it relates to God, you notice as you study the scriptures that God has taken responsibility to do certain things in the life of his children. You see that there are things that God calls us to do. And so you have this idea of sanctification. Sanctification is being set apart for the Lord. So sanctification has three components. It has a past, present, and future component. Sanctified or set apart from our past means that when Jesus died on the cross and we receive that sacrifice into our lives, into our hearts, then we are forgiven of the sins that we had committed. We're born in sin. We're sinful by nature. And so we are set apart from the world, set apart to God from our past. Set apart for our future means we're going to heaven. Ultimately, when it's all said and done, we're going to find ourselves in heaven as Christians because of the finished work of the cross. This idea of present sanctification or being set apart from the world and being set apart to God is something that's just an interesting dynamic as you look at history, as you look at church history, as you look at God working in history throughout time. And so God has taken the responsibility to say, you know what? 
I'm going to complete a work that I've begun in all of my children. If you remember Abraham and the sacrifice that God told him to prepare, he told him, take an animal, and we will together walk through that animal as a sign that if you don't hold your end of the bargain, then may that happen to you. And if I don't hold my end of the bargain, then may that happen to me. And that was how they did contracts back in 4th century B.C., They took an animal, they slid it in half, and the two parties would walk through it, demonstrating and signifying that if we don't oblige by what we're saying we're going to do, we're signing on the dotted line to say, should that happen to us if we don't hold our end of the bargain? Well, if you remember that sacrifice in Genesis, God with Abraham, God puts Abraham to sleep. And God walks through the sacrifice. And he says, Abraham, my promise has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your children as the stars of the heaven, as the sands of the sea. You will be the father of the faith because I'm going to do it. In the same way as I look at sanctification, present day, right now, guess what? God is on the hook for your life. God has said, here's the contrast between religious people and people who have a relationship with me. Religious people may from the outside look like they're doing things that these people that have a relationship with me are doing, but the contrast is very, very much different. I will complete the work that I've begun in my children. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And so as we look at what God's desiring to do in the lives of his children, there comes these times where we recognize, wow, God's doing something in my life that's deeper than I thought I was even ready for. God is doing something that is profound, and I'm going to get this. And so Paul, fear that he couldn't be present, Silas couldn't be present, and Timothy couldn't be present, his fear was, I hope the Thessalonians are getting it. I hope that this brand new little group of believers are figuring it out. And what he's discovering is God's on the hook and his reputation to do what he had begun in the life of these believers. And the same is true for you and for me as well. As we go on in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, he writes, And sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Timothy was an awesome example. And notice these three things he says about his brother Timothy. He says, first, he's his brother. He's a minister and a fa- fellow laborer. And so Timothy would be a good guy to be able to send to them. Going on in verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Interesting little dynamic here. Did you know that you were appointed to affliction? You're appointed to suffer. You are appointed to go through difficulties in life. And I wish we can get it through a correspondence course. 
I wish we could just pull up our little computer screen and be like, all right, lesson number 32 in life, read it, got it, own it, it's mine, done. But that's not how life works. Unfortunately, being appointed to afflictions, being appointed to suffering, being having to go through difficulties in life is the only way that God is able to do what God desires to do in your life and in my life. And so though we shy away or shun it or we push it aside, God is saying, no, because I'm on the hook, my reputation is on the line, I will complete the work that I've begun in the lives of my children When it's time for this lesson to take place in your life, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. Because God's reputation is on the line. And God's not going to waste his reputation on any one of his children. He's going to be faithful to do what he's begun to do in our lives. Verse 4 says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation. Just as it happened, and you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. And so Paul let them know that he was going to go through difficulties. But now he's wondering, oh, I don't want to lose this work that I've begun in you. But is it Paul? Was it Silas? Was it Timothy? Or was it God who was working behind the scenes? Truly, it was God. Verse 6, he goes on, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And so Paul is coming to a place where he's beginning to realize that this is bigger than the Apostle Paul. This is bigger than a person. It's God that is doing something behind the scenes in the lives of these people, and he's seeing it right, unfold right in front of him. Verse 9 says, For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect perfect." what is lacking in your faith. Paul would be one of those who wouldn't just pray when things were bad. He would pray all the time. He would pray upon remembrance of people that God would bring to his heart. I am a strong believer that if God desires you to be whatever God desires you to be, then you will be that. Because God's going to do it. If If God wanted Paul to be a man of prayer, then Paul would be a man of prayer. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you, there's your application, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Your application point is that you would live out and walk in love towards one another. And so the work that God is doing is definitely an eternal work. It's something that's heaven-bound. And when you get to heaven, you'll see the fruit that is placed in your account for the things that God was working out in your life as his child in this process of sanctification. So now, 
as we begin to apply this section of scripture, the title being The Need for Brokenness, every single one of us needs to find ourselves on the highway to repentance, a road that is this, this path towards repentance. And on this path to repentance, oftentimes a lot of things would look like we are getting it, like we're truly repenting. But the reality is, many times, we're just not. And so because of that, God intervenes in our lives and through people and circumstances and situations and difficulties, God is able to do what unfortunately we just can't get in and of ourselves in our own strength. So if we're on this road to repentance and confession is part of the first thing that we need to come to grips with as it relates to repentance. I want to repent. I want to turn away from my lifestyle. I want to turn away from things that I'm doing that I have no business doing. I want to repent. If we find ourselves on that road to repentance, then confession is where it begins. And the off-ramp that leads us to true repentance is brokenness. And until we're broken, repentance is not a reality. We could be sorry for our sin. We could be sorry for our condition. We could feel bad about our life. We can feel remorse and regret and all of these things. But until we take the off-ramp to brokenness, we're not going to experience repentance. We're just going to feel bad and feel regretful and have all these emotions about sin. But it's when we get to the off-ramp of brokenness that repentance becomes a reality we will turn from that lifestyle to never again move or desire at least to move in that direction it's only through brokenness so jesus would be the prophesied messiah that would come into the world and as a prophesied messiah um, he was given many titles many names one of them he would be the chief cornerstone Any building as a foundation needed the chief cornerstone to be able to set up so that every stone would take off from the chief cornerstone and that would be the foundation of the building. That would make a secure, solid foundation. And so Jesus, as the solid foundation, as the promised Messiah, it would be said this of Jesus, Matthew chapter 21, verses 42 through 44. Let me read it to you. Matthew Chapter 21, Jesus said to them, have you never read these scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Bible said that Jesus would come to the Jew first and the Jews would not receive him. Because of that, he would go to the Gentiles. And it is said in John chapter 1 that to as many as received him, to them He gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. And so it would be to those who reject him, then because of that now the gospel comes to us, the Gentiles, to those who receive him, to them we have the right to become or called the children of God. He goes on in this section of scripture in Matthew chapter 21, verse 43, Therefore, because of this, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
in the context of what Jesus is saying as him being the chief cornerstone and the Jews rejecting him, he would say, no longer will the gospel go to the Jews, but it will now go to the Gentiles. And on whoever, whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So your two choices. You will be broken by falling on Jesus, or Jesus will fall on you and grind you to powder. And that's ultimately when it's all said and done. And so this idea of brokenness, and again, I don't know why it is or what it is about us that we just can't get certain things that we need in life any other way except through brokenness. And so your life should be a series of brokenness as a child of God. Once again, because God's reputation is on the line. He has said that he will complete the work that he has begun in the life of his children. And so if you are not experiencing brokenness on a regular basis, then you're not really repenting. Again, you could be sorry about your sin. You could have regret over your sin. You could be remorseful about the things that you do. But until you are broken, you will not experience true repentance. Brokenness brings you to a place where you tap out, where you're done, where the life source is being choked out of you and you have no option but to cry out and call out to God. That's what brokenness is. It would be Daniel, or not Daniel, it would be David, who in a moment where he was supposed to take responsibility for his life, he was supposed to be at war Instead, he's kicking back at home on the roof of his palace and he sees one bathing, Bathsheba. And he inquires of her and says, who is this? She is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. Hmm, send her to me. He would go into her, she would get pregnant. Then David would try to cover up his tracks of sin through having her husband come home from war Hopefully he can go home, go into her. Mm, Yeah, she's pregnant, but if you do the math, it'd be about the right time. So Uriah would think that it's his doing. Uriah was too honorable. More honor than the king himself. He would sleep on the porch of the palace and say, no way can I do this. While my, my army, my men are out there fighting, I can't go into my wife. David would end up getting him drunk. He would still refuse Eventually, David would have him placed on the front line, on the front line of the war, and have everybody retreat, killing Uriah. So his plan works out. He's doing well. He's got it. Uriah's dead, gives it a season, brings Bathsheba to the palace, marries her. Everything looks good. He's covered his tracks. God sends the prophet... Nathan to David and he gives him this little story of a pet lamb and there was this guy in the kingdom and he had one little pet lamb and they treated him like it was his own little 
you know, little puppy dog, and they would sleep with it. And then there's this rich man in your kingdom, David, and this rich man had a multitude of lambs, and he stole the, the guy's little pet lamb, and he kills it for this guest that comes to his house, and man, we're just at a quandary. What should we do with this guy, David? This guy's going to get capital punishment, and he has to pay four times, four times what he t- stole from this guy. Four times, while wow, the Bible... The law said twice and capital punishment for stealing. That wasn't in the scriptures. And Nathan the prophet points at David and says, David, you're the man. You're the man that did this unconscionable thing. You have everything at your access. And yet you took somebody's wife. And in that season, while Bathsheba's pregnant and David is going through this turmoil... He writes Psalm 51. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. I believe in Psalm 51 we have a picture of what brokenness looks like. And so that God wants every single one of us throughout our walk with Him broken, this is exactly what it's supposed to look like. Psalm 51. So during this time, David would write two psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me know or to know wisdom. This is a very sure sign that you are on the road to brokenness with God when you come to the place where you don't care what it looks like, you don't care what people think, but in humility, your only concern and desire is that you would walk in truth from the inside out, from the innermost part of your being you would just desire to be right with your God above all else. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. I just want to be right with my Creator. I just want to be right with my Savior. That's where David had come to after all of the conniving, all the jiving, all of the covering of the tracks. He wanted truth from the innermost part of his being. That's a man who is broken. An individual that recognizes, I wasn't right with God. God put his finger on the problem in my life. He caused me to see it clearly for what it is. And now all I care about, I just want to be right with my God. I want truth to flow out of me from the innermost part of my being. And again, I don't care what it looks like, And I don't care what people think. I just want to be right with God. And you contrast that to religion. 
Religious people, it's all exterior. It's all what it looks like. It's all pride. It's all save face. It's all what will people think? What will people say? A person who is broken doesn't care. Brokenness is from the inside out. God's reputation is on the line. God is doing the work from the inside out. He's brought you to a place where you're broken and you recognize and you realize that in the season prior to that time, you were not right with God. You were at sin. Your sin was separating you from your creator. There was no communion. There was no union in that season. You're literally breaking the heart of God. And when that comes to the life of the child of God, there's a level of all I want to do is be right with God. He goes on. In verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop is an interesting thing in the scriptures. It would be what was used to put the blood on the doorpost and the lentil of the house in the book of Exodus. It's what would be used to put blood on the mercy seat from the lamb. It's what was used to, when Jesus was on the cross. So hyssop speaks of of just a cleansing in our lives, a renewing in our lives, a a blood that covers our sin. Verse 8 says, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. The shepherd that has the straying lamb breaks the leg of the lamb in an act of mercy. You wander and you wander and you wander and you stray and you get away from the path of the Lord. And the, la- the leg of the lamb is broken. And in that season of healing, when that lamb can no longer do for itself what it thought it can do, walk around and wander and stray, in that moment where the leg is broken, that, that shepherd takes the lamb and he carries him on his shoulder. You've seen the picture of the shepherd carrying the lamb on his shoulder. Well, that lamb has a broken leg. And in that process of healing, in that process of time, a union and a communion is developed in the closeness with the shepherd. And once that lamb's leg heals, never again will it stray because of that communion that has been developed in that season where the shepherd took that lamb and just the closeness, the union, the, the, the relationship that has been developed. Verse 9 says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. 
then they shall offer bulls on your altar. And so what is it that God desires from his children but a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart? And these will God will not shun. He will not push away. And through the circumstances of life, he brings all of his children throughout their walk to these places of brokenness so that we can be built up in the right way. So that the foundation of our life can be Christ. And from there, he can build on that foundation. And if we're not experiencing this on a regular basis, then we have to question. Why not? If God's reputation's on the line, if he's the one that is going to complete the work that he's begun, then what, we have it more figured out than the average? We're way better than everyone else? No. No, none of us. None of us. We're not better than David. And David was a man after God's own heart because he knew how to repent. Because he knew how to acknowledge. Even if it was a long season, he knew how to acknowledge that he's not moving in the direction of God. There's a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11. I'll close with this. Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 11. The Bible says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent has not changed. Powerful scripture. For anybody who knows anything about wine, the dregs are the impurities that sit within the wine. And the way you get rid of those impurities and the taste of those impurities out of the wine to have a high caliber, a high quality of wine is to pour it from vessel to vessel in a purifying process. And as it's poured from vessel to to vessel, the dregs are lessened and lessened, and the wine itself becomes pure and more pure, and the taste of it comes through. And so Moab, it is said, has been at ease from his youth and has settled on the dregs. The dregs are the impurities. And so Moab, it is said that he, Moab, the nation of Moab, the Moabites, has come to this place has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent has not changed. God wants you to have the scent of Christ. Not a stench, but a sweet aroma. A sweet aroma of his son. And his reputation is on the line. And God will be faithful to do in your life what he desires to do through the circumstances of life, through the relationships in life, through whatever is taking place, the lack of whatever you think you need, so on and so forth. And through that, God gets our attention and there's a breaking that begins to take place. And through that breaking, there's a union and a communion that takes place with your Savior as he carries you, literally carries you. And a union and a communion begins to develop in a closeness and you begin to see how God works and you begin to see how God thinks and you begin to see what you're lacking and what you need to repent of. And in that place of brokenness, your desire to just be right with your Savior. And again, to me, nothing greater than a contrast of a religious person 
and a person who has a relationship with Christ. The person that has a relationship with Christ will never, ever be the same, having come in contact with the living God. Never, ever be the same. The religious person, eh, you might grow and understanding and scriptures and religious things, but the inside remains the same, untouched, untainted, polluted, dregs, taste is horrible, the aroma is flesh, it's carnal. People might be fooled. People might be impressed. God, not at all. Not at all. Faithful to do in his children what he has set out to do. He will not ruin his reputation on any one of us. He will be faithful to do what he needs to do in our hearts, in our lives, in the depth of brokenness. So don't run from it. Run to it. And it's a cycle. It should happen throughout your lifetime on earth as a Christian. And if it's not happening, you need to repent of your fake or false repentance. Because you've not repented yet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do not desire to be individuals that are playing games with religious things. Lord, the time is short. And so, Lord, I pray that we would long to be broken, allowing you, Lord, the place that you so rightfully deserve in our hearts as a priority. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have promised to do certain things in our life. And if we find ourselves on a road to repentance, that we would take the off-ramp to brokenness and bask there, Lord. Hang out there. Dwell there. For it's there, Lord, where you transform us, where you renew us, where you revive us. Lord, where we're never, ever the same. And so thank you for your ways. Thank you for how you do what you do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.